Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio, episode 44. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Introducing a new incarnation of world-renowned spiritual teachings, Higher Balance Dojo. Dojo is Higher Balance's latest digital training membership. Inside the Dojo studio, you'll find loads of curated content, handpicked and organized to help you learn the most important lessons and techniques that are guaranteed to bring about spiritual transformation, initiate real mystical experiences, and inspire you to reach ever-increasing new heights on your journey to spiritual awakening. Sign up for a $1 trial to Higher Balance Dojo now and experience it for yourself by visiting hbidojo.com. That's h-b-i-d-o-j-o.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash higher balance. Designed by the rebel guru himself, Eric Pepin, Magnetic Pill was made to enhance results with all higher balance training. Accelerate sensory development, achieve deeper meditations, better overall focus, and so much more. Go to magneticpill.com forward slash rebel for $10 off every month or get a three-month supply with our buy two, get one free special. Order now and we'll include a free guide listing three techniques you can start doing right away to hone your psychic mind. In this episode, Eric Pepin peels back the layers of misconceptions to help listeners seek the truth, explore entities and energy beings, different methods of meditation, past lives, and more. Enjoy. When I was reviewing the uh, women's retreat that you did uh, a few years ago, and there's a lot of really good content in there, um, one of them that you that hasn't really been brought up other than in there is called Meta, is what you called it. And this is like when the Buddhist monks are like being studied and, and their brain chemistry and they, you know, will pr- produce all this, you know, whatever electricity in different areas of their brain. And you said what they're doing is they're focusing on love and compassion. And they're just that as a spiritual practice, they're just kind of building on that. And so I was wondering if uh, you recommend something similar for your students or if you have a different spin on it that you would approach it as versus compassion, love, compassion, love, something else, maybe, I don't know. Uh, well, uh, you know, I would be like, why? Of course, somebody's <laughs> going to edit that now and splice it all up and be like, see what he said? You know, just like, oh, they can't get nothing good on me, so they have to edit jobs on me, you know? Yeah. If they showed the real thing, they would realize, you know? Um, look, uh, you know, I absolutely believe that love is ultimately one of the most powerful emotions in humanity, if not universally. And, you know, to to summarize an approach to, to meditation and love, I mean, we do, you know, meditate on the heart chakra and such like that. But you, you can go into deeper arenas of that. But, you know, you have to understand, if you're going to compare yourself with doing it Buddhist style, okay, Buddhist, in love, okay? You have to understand that if you want similar results or those kind of results, then you have to go through kind of a, a different process. What I would say is, you know, there's a class that I teach, it's, it's called the layering effect or onioning, okay? Where you're kind of just taking all these different face muscles and you keep going back and just relax and relax them and you keep going down and you start hearing like a click in your ear because the muscles are just kind of letting go and for whatever reason, it makes like a, a click sound for a portion of it until you've literally have just melted so deep that you've disconnected with the mental connection to your organic body. You're, you're more or less shut down layer after layer after layer after layer. Once you're there, you can move into the heart chakra. You can think about love. I often 
say that, you know, instead of people love or thinking about love for, for a person, I think ultimately the love for God is the most transcending. It's the most that we connect with. It's this, this really, in, you know, kind of very special, very powerful place. And it's, it's not so much about how much you love God, it's the receiving. And I think that's the part that everybody kind of misses. They're thinking like, you know, like, oh, well, they're projecting out love. It's, it's actually, in my opinion, probably just the opposite. It's allowing yourself to be loved, okay? And I think too many, and I've talked about this before, too many white cells don't feel as if they're good enough. And that's like saying to, if you were a parent to your child and your child's like, I'm not good enough for your love. I mean, that's just, just like unimaginable. So when one appeals to God or represents to God and accepts that, that ultimate unconditional love, that's when you hit this, this bone, this tone, this um, you know? And so that would be my suggestion if you want to, to go to that full depth range. Of course, I think working with the standardized meditation I teach is ultimately the best producing effective meditation all the way around. But if one wants to do a special session on something like that, then I would suggest that process. And I, I do think people should do it. Okay, cool. That actually kind of segues into another thing that you talked about mm. at the same retreat, mm. which was um, you brought up placebo versus mm. nocebo, mm -hmm. and nocebo being the opposite of placebo effect. You know, you take a pill and it it make it works even though it actually is sure. sugar pill, and placebo effect would be like your negative thinking on yourself. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the negative doubt or whatever creating an actual reaction in your in in you too. all right first of all you got to keep in mind i've done what thousands of hours of lectures and classes so it's very hard for me to try to recall the exact right. context that i'm referring to at that moment mm -hmm. so you know let's just clear that up okay, okay. so you, clarify again when you're saying placebo and nocebo because so I, I don't effect. know if i would agree with what you said okay because I mean, that's one thing I think I might be misunderstood, but mm -hmm. placebo effect was like you take a sugar pill, you know, yeah. you know, we all know what placebo is. So nocebo would be the opposite. You're getting a negative effect instead of a positive effect. Is that correct? No, I wouldn't. It, again, I don't recall exactly what we were talking about. So okay. I need to, to emphasize that. But in general, if you're going to say nocebo, okay, mm -hmm. that would be that you're simply trying to achieve something without the belief that you've taken something to have an effect. Okay. Okay. The reason placebo works, and it, I mean, across the board, medical studies, everything, it's the one thing that throws the wrench into almost all blindside studies and everything else is that there's this unexplainable effect where a portion of the population gets the same effect or gets an effect that, that whether it be healed from cancer or tumors or diseases or immune system or whatever, that that's just unexplainable other than the mind is so powerful as what you'll always hear. So when we think about that, you're, you're putting a belief into something that you think you have the, the real deal. The medicine they're giving you is going to be the real one and not the fake one. So they, they don't tell you during the study. But if you genuinely believe that and it's actually not the real deal and you're healing yourself, that's the power of, of, of your mind. So nocebo is going to be the idea that you're trying to have the same effect without a, a something given to you that you're empowering your belief in, even though it's that thing doesn't do nothing for you. Okay, so you're artificially producing the placebo effect without the extra if, actual... If, it depends on the context, but, okay. but more or less, yes. Okay. So, but I just want to emphasize, it, it, it's harder to do. But this goes back into, let's, let's use that whole onioning effect, okay? The whole point of that is, is to remove this, this talking in your head, this, this thought, this whole functioning, to get it as deep as you can into that subconscious, that super subconscious, and just shut everything down with one ultimate goal, okay? And that is to produce an effect, like whether it be placebo or non-sebo, non but the point is, is that you would have to do the, the, the non-sebo for the best results in that place because one of the things more than likely as you're shutting down all these things, the, the idea is that one of those is going to be this restrictor on, on whether the placebo works or oh, not. Oh, okay. You understand? That's really, so okay. by shutting down everything with this, with this one ultimate goal, okay, I often say it's like an echo. You shout the desire out, you shut all these things down because now even the thing shouting it out has been shut down. 
So there's what, what is controlling that? So now the echo comes back from that desire and it allows it to, to do what it's magic per se. So that, that kind of explains like when you are going through that process where you're kind of like you're relaxing your muscles in your face and it, yeah. you start to feel there might be like, it's almost like your biomagnetic field starts to shift or, or there's like pressures that you feel. Is that yeah. where it's like it's gripping on or you're kind of starting well, to Well, I wouldn't say it? it's necessarily gripping on, but it could, uh -huh. okay? You have to keep in mind that, that your mind is very entwined with all your muscles to walk, to move, to, to pick up the finest object. Just remember from childhood, we're, we're stumbling, we're falling, we're trying to get our motor gears in, we're articulating, now we're playing instruments, piano, we're, you know, just combing your hair is, is actually a very complex electro neural system, okay? So now what happens is, is that your mind is very wound into your, your muscles, okay? So a lot of times the babbler is because the muscles have various chemicals in it and it's got to burn them down in order for it to relax. Hence, you, you also have various chemicals in your body that give you the knots in your, your legs and stuff and various things. So what's happening is, is that there's a very much mind-body connection, as they say, and that's neurally entwined. We're so used to using our mind to do all these things. So now you're saying, okay, I, I want you to disconnect. I want you layer by layer disconnect. So you're shutting those down, but they, they almost want to talk. And a lot of times muscles hold memory. They hold information, like a computer chip, if you will. So we, you drive sometimes and you can be looking and your body knows what to do. There's so many things in day-to-day -day activities that we don't pay attention to anymore that we just do. That's because it's memorized. It's almost following a program that, that's dancing in a sense, doing all its actions. So you're shutting by will all of these things down, particularly cerebral, because that's our main blah, 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 talking, our eyes, all of our main senses are all built into this one little ball, I always say, okay? So you're shutting all those down and you're leaving your consciousness in charge, okay? So it's, it's gonna say like your body's gonna fight to come back, so you have a certain amount of time. So if there is something that's resisting it's it's fear it's control it's it's you know it's these kind of things but but yes it's a yes and no answer right okay i hope that was helpful i'm on a yeah no it's, it's kind of like ex explain what people talk about like i know masseuse always mentioned like they're they always have these cases where they they're massaging somebody and then all of a sudden they start either laughing or crying yeah they're like yeah they just start yeah. bawling and yeah. that's what they're doing releasing it's muscle yeah it's 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 you it's weird but your your brain kind of tethers to something you know you could have had a, a car accident before the car accident you your neck and everything gets tight rather than your stomach okay and so every time something happens like that it's like your mind brain body it's like it just tenses mm -hmm. and there's not really a good reason for it other than something set it off it's the same for getting upset stomachs or the same for for aches and pains in certain ways it, it doesn't it's just something that the mind becomes aware of and and it's that that connection so you're literally going in there mentally disconnecting it rather than having a massage person and when the massage person's doing it you already know psychologically, like the echo, the echo saying, oh, when a massage person works on it, they're relieving that area, they're relieving the stress there. So you kind of have a psychological objective already at play. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Where this here, you're, you're literally taking everything on and shutting it down. So you shut it down, but then you reprogram. Well, you don't necessarily have to repro, I always okay. say, you know, in, in, in computer chips, there, there is a lot of computer chips, obviously, on a circuit board. You have the hard drive and the, the memory. Everybody knows. But a lot of people don't know what a lot of those other chips do. But in old school, there's, there's something called the BIOS. And the BIOS is the essential hard written. You can't necessarily erase it, okay? And it has the calendar date in there, a sense of time, a sense of the basics to tell everything how to work. Just like in, in the womb, you get a BIOS, you know, there's there's the drive to suckle for, for milk, there's the breathing mechanism, there's the let go to urinate randomly, whatever, okay? So that's BIOS, it's the essentials for life, if you will. So when you shut everything down, your hope is that you go to the BIOS and re restart it up, but it's different because the brain has all that. It's like saying if you shut down a computer that has a virus, if you don't remove it from the 
the hard drive, the virus just comes right back in, into the system. Right. So, so I don't want people to, to incorrectly get information. Do you see what I'm saying? You can shut everything down and give yourself what I call, you know, a timeout. Okay, mm -hmm. and it's very healing, very powerful. And you do this with with the universe, in the hopes that it washes out that negative program. Do you mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? As it comes back on, there's something in its place now. So there's that that battle to what what is going to take that that position. And usually you, you can get a lot of it removed, some of it removed, all of it removed, or you have to do multiple sessions. It just depends on the circumstances and it depends on how, how well you, you did the process. Okay, cool. Do we have any questions, Liza? If you guys have any questions, feel free to type them in. Um, I have other questions here. Well, one question I think that... Uh, a lot of people don't know about you as a spiritual teacher. You're the only spiritual teacher that I can really think of that talks a lot about the paranormal hauntings and uh, not just spiritual feeling love and everything, but actually feeling like, you know, those going in and experiencing like an entity and stuff like that. Um, do you think that, I mean, and you say that this played a big role in your awakening process as a youth because you were kind of like terrorized by entities and this right, is what right. kind of drew you on the path. Right. And then like really bad babysitters, you know, instead, <laughs> of, instead of having like a babysitter that was a drunk or something, I have, you know, entities. <laughs> so do you think that like even to this day, um, participants of higher balance, students of higher balance underestimate the value of doing that? Yes. But let me let me back step. Mm -hmm. I can't say whether other teachers are are saying. I, I, you know, I just, okay, what I I've just seen. wanted on record right. that you know I I would never say for sure anything right. like that. Right. I I don't see it, right? And I haven't really come across it, but I'm sure there's got to be some out there, right? But having said that, when I look at my own development, you know, this is how I like to teach. I try to to figure out how how am I doing what I'm doing, and how can I you know, transcribe that in information so somebody else can look at it and do as I can do. Because I believe anything I can do, anybody else can do. And I've proved that over and over and over again. So when I think about what were the mechanisms that triggered my uh, experiential, my self-reflection to, to get me to where I am, uh, a big part of my life was was entities, spirits, ghosts, call it whatever you want. Of course, I went through the same route as many people where there's a religious effect in there somewhere and yada, yada, yada from Christianity or whatever and the highs and lows of that. And so what comes out of that is that I think that a lot of higher balance participants or people interested in what I teach are relatively very logical. They're, they're, they're very deduction-oriented mentally. They, they're, in a sense, very scientific in a way. And we're downing Thomases. We're just, we're just like, mm, you, know, yeah, I, you know what I'm saying? So when I say to them, look, you should go to a place where there's a haunting, okay? The first thing is, is why would anybody tell their students that are spiritual that you want to go to a place where, where there's hauntings, okay? Well, look. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're doubting the idea that there's life after death. That's simply just simply a truth, okay? That, that, and it probably will remain your whole life no matter what you see. But you're trying to reduce that effect in your mind because there are what I call caps on your brain that allow you to attain higher levels of consciousness. So by having experiences with entities that that you just cannot dismiss you can't dispute you you went out enough times you had enough experiences you're like there's absolutely life after death there there it is there it happened you don't need to necessarily have all the meanings and, and causes for it but but you've come to a conclusion and a realization that that there's life after death that reflection when you transcend that over to a spiritual approach You've just removed a governor, a cap that's going to prevent you from wrapping your mind or for you to, to move to these higher levels of phenomena that are just crazy. And until you kind of approach that idea, just saying, this is what I always say, is that a lot of people go like, I believe in ghosts and spirits. Do you? I mean, it, 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 I, don't, I don't think so. I think that this is just words. This is just people saying, well, well, you know, I rationalize it and I think there's life after that. 
unless you go out in the field or unless you really have an experience in your own life that that really is very rock solid even then you still will have doubts but you want to erode away by your experiences the things that that limit your mind from from having these higher truths we're designed to remain in our bodies we're designed to be told we're we're thinking moving machines and we're here to explain this. so so there, there is a systematic level that doesn't want you to to expand beyond this this confine of the machine the body so only intellectually when you unravel these these little ties and, and, and knots in, your, in, in the brain to hold you, okay, it's only then that you can progress further. So this is simply a tool or an approach to that. Now, some people might say, well, you know, what about possession? What about evil entities? What about, you know, I would say across the board, 99% of the time, it's incredibly almost impossible that entities generally attack and do harm. Now I see this on TV, yeah, they got a scratch, or yeah, they felt something, whatever. But the truth is, look, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I mean, my cat has probably scratched me more that I've had pets than any entity ever has in my life, okay? So this is a matter of perspective. It's the fear of the unknown that we have to, to brave in order to expand our own consciousnesses. Yeah. And I just want to say before we have a question here, but mm -hmm. that uh, in my own experiences with uh, entities, I can look back to like a long time ago where I was like having these scary encounters. And I remember you saying like, you asked for this, like, you know, and those experiences led to other experiences that aren't necessarily paranormal. But what, what a lot of people that listen to Rebel Guru Radio don't, maybe don't even know our terminology, like the governor, that's what we call it. We're systematically kind of removing the governor, these, uh, these parts of our psychology that, that, that limit our belief or our ability to, to experience things beyond, you know, our everyday normal. Beyond things. our five senses. Right. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I just wanted to kind of make the point about what the actual, the governor is. It's, it's the filters on our, our psychology. Yeah. Go ahead with the question. But, but I just want to throw something else in there that, you know, Again, I, I get criticism for certain things, and I want to, to say that what I teach is not anything like spiritual, traditional methods of teaching, whether they be religious or Hindu or, or mystic teachers or whatever. I mean, I, I don't want to be in that, that school of thinking. It's there. Millions of people have tried it. Some people work for them. Some people don't, yada, yada. I, I'm just going at this through my own way, my own style. I don't like being called a rebel guru because people say, oh, you're a guru. Now you have to, to fit this box of what a guru is. So this is why I like the word rebel guru per se. But I teach and I, I teach from my own experiences. So people always want to put me into like, oh, you're a spiritual teacher. You shouldn't take money for what you do. Well, I don't think of it that way either. I think of myself as a good college and I've, I've got to run the college in order to be able to do what I do. So, so I, I don't like being fit in the box. Now, having said that, I don't think anybody has a, a monopoly on the universe or God, period. So I have every right to approach or teach it any way that, that I choose. As long as the results are working, as long as people are getting really good results, that's the goal and fast results. I approach this in a fast track method to attaining belief, attaining experiences through belief and reaching the highest levels of consciousness that you can in the lifetime you have before you, you're, you reach your expiration date per se. So it's the fast track. So why am I saying go see ghosts and spirits and any disease and invest? Look at that because it's part of that fast track of getting you very powerful results rather than spending 30, 40 years of your life in an ashram or something chanting and you come to me like, thousands of, of people all over the world, uh, hundreds of which have said to me, you know, I've never had an experience in my life. I've never experienced anything. I did this for, for one day and they're crying and they're telling me, oh my gosh, it's the most profound experience I ever had. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not about bragging. It's not about ego. I, I simply am trying to say to you that if you want to try something that's alternative to what other things are out there, Hallelujah. give it a shot. <laughs> Don't even say hallelujah. <laughs> so, in a way, you guys already answered this question, but maybe there's a 
different way to answer it. She's saying that she experienced uh, a male aggressive entity, mm -hmm. and since then she completely shut it off, and she doesn't because she doesn't want to experience it again. So she's asking, how could she reopen? Mm -hmm. I I would need to know what took place with the male. Now I'm not saying that there's not negative entities. There certainly are. But I also believe that there are a lot of entities that are misunderstood. And <laughs> they're all misunderstood. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's pulling me by my hair across the table. Really, Eric says you just, you just need some therapy. <laughs> um, look, when, whenever we are confronted by something that we can't smell, taste, hear, or it falls into our normal senses, it's perfectly natural through survival instinct to be afraid. That's what's kept the human race alive, that, that we run if there's fear, that we panic if there's fear, or we fight if there's fear. So if an entity were to come into an environment and want to communicate with you, it feels like you can recognize it. It is limited in its ability to, to get your attention. It can't necessarily just talk. In some cases it can, maybe pieces of words come out. Maybe it comes out booming when it said it softly because of physics, because of, of space and time, okay? There are times where it might move something to get your attention and it makes it move and you're frightened by that. So once we're in that frightened mode, everything looks scary, everything becomes, it's very hard to control your, your emotions to, to want to, to have a, a moment of, of clarity or trying to understand what's going on. I'm not saying that there aren't bad entities out there, they are, but I wanna make a point to you, okay, that Entities, by default, we assume are human deceased, or let's call it alien, but let's keep ghosts in the category of human deceased. That means they have intelligence. They had a brain. They had self-reflection. They might have laughed. They might have cried. They might have had joy in their life. They might have had stress in their life. But nonetheless, they are able to, to some degree, self-reflect or reflect on life. Now, I have a really hard problem thinking that there's not a level of rationalizing or or conveying something to something that is intelligent. Now, I also teach that sometimes entities are stuck in what I call a dream state. That's when you're running in a dream and something's chasing you, but you can't run any faster and yada, yada, yada. That to them, because in a sense, they're immortal, their energy, they keep repeating patterns. So I, I, I don't like to to fit ghost identities as many schools of, of teaching do into like three or four categories i think there's so many varieties out there it's like fish in the sea for varieties and that things need to be thought out i think a lot of times ghosts and entities are not ghosts and entities it's just recorded sounds in old walls due to plaster and mineral paste and everything else just like crude uh, uh, recording tape, you know, and when air pressure comes from storms, because there's always ghosts and storms, well, there's a little truth to that, that it makes the house creak. Well, that's expanding and retraction. It's creating, like, through hallways, like a very crude level of a speaker. And this is where we're hearing, like, dropping 45 to 35 on a record, what sounds like bebop, bop, bebop, bop, it goes down to slower speed, bebop, bebop, to even a lower, okay? Very creepy if it was presented that way. So, there's so many things to understand. My job is to open that spectrum to and say, approach things as a, as a intellectualist, don't approach things as, as a personal level and you will gain more knowledge out of it that's going to make you awaken and have profound experiences. Seek the truth, don't run from it. Okay, um, Roman's asking what's the best haunted place in the East Coast? I love uh, a location. Now, I mean, there's so many places in the East Coast. I certainly probably have only been to a drop of them. You know, it's, it's a big area. Uh, but there's a place that I call the Lost Village in Pomfret, Connecticut. And we would drive out there all the time. It's pretty far for us where we were. But, and we would go there. And it's an, it's an old village that never kind of, well, maybe you've tucked off, but there's cellar holes, there's path, there's stones with drills for the horse. There's a lot left there. And I have had so many experiences there in my youth uh, going there that um, I would encourage most people to go. Now, the phenomenon there, there was a, a hurricane glory or whatever it was back in the day because it was these huge trees that were like planted by these pilgrims, but they became huge years later. And one of them fell over and the phenomenon was never quite as good after that, but there's still a lot of phenomena there. And there's a graveyard up the hill a lot of people don't know about that's further back up in there. So you, there's plenty exploring. There's other hidden 
uh, cellar holes where the houses were built on. And you'll, you, I mean, it's definitely enough there where you're not guessing maybe it's rocks or not. I mean, it's clearly, you know, 80% built. So in either case, I had heard uh, what was like a dirt road going up and we were sitting over to side what was my description of horses or a horse pulling a carriage and you could feel the thump thump from the horse kind of vibrating through the ground in a sense. You could hear the jingle of, I guess, the tassel or the equipment that would be associated with this, this horse. And it sounded like a young boy and a father were talking. And eventually it became clearer and clearer and then it just stopped. Um, that's just one experience. So I don't know if, if I would say that they were ghosts. I would say that in the pursuit of looking for ghosts or what started off as ghosts, I believe at that time we, we discovered a, a time rift and time was, was, was seeping through between our realm and that realm from another time. And that's what we were hearing. We may not be able to see it, but we could hear it very audibly well. And there's so many unique things that we, that I had learned over the years that, that there's um, a pile of stones, like a field that they must've created from trying to make fields out there and removing the stones. And that's where they all went. And there's running water going underneath. If you listen carefully, you can hear it, but there's a lot of overgrowth at that time. And I think in some ways that that is a energy source that contributed to the environment under the right weather or air pressure circumstances. Um, and that's just one little tiny thing I learned from that. So by going there and having those experiences, it really brought in my whole idea of ghosts and hauntings and spirits at a very young age, probably, probably 17, 16 at that time, or who knows how old. So there you have it. Okay, I think that's going to be the last question on entities. Yeah. Um, he's trying to, so his question is, how can he convince an entity how to identify itself? And also, how can he try to commu communicate with the entity to communicate to him? What are the expectations from the entity? Well, look, what do we actually know from these kind of experiences? We know that when we try to communicate in the sense to get that information, it's 50-50. I have mixed feelings a lot of times of the shows where they're going in there and they're trying to communicate and they're getting footage and they're doing stuff. I probably would approach things very differently, but at the same token, you've, you've, you've got to understand that when you say to an entity, what's your name or whatever, look, you know, if, if it was that simple and they're like, Tom, you know, or John, okay, you know, all right. No, how about, you know, Tom, Tom, you know, uh, matter of factly is his last name, you know, uh, what year were you here? What, what, you know, um, it's, it's their, their, their consciousness most of the time, it's like, think about it, like things being stretched or if you've, you're drunk and you're trying to keep your act together because you're driving a car or whatever, you know, God forbid, or you're confronted by the police and you got to be on your best A game, but your mind ain't quite there. Okay. It's kind of like that. They have a very hard time conveying or articulating. That's why I often think sometimes when, when entities are in a space and it's scary, it's because it's, it's like their motor gears are not the same as if they had an organic body. They're not hearing you. They don't have eardrums in their ear. It's not the same. They're not seeing you with cones in their eyes for, for natural light reflection to, to come into the brain. It's completely different. So what they're hearing on their end could be just as, as unusual or, or weird as it is for us in our end, that there's this, this rift between time and space and they're, they're trying to communicate. They've figured out that, that they're, they're making something or, or sensing us and they're trying to make that communication. So I don't know if I would recommend that you try to get names or information. I would rather say that you're, you're, you're conveying or you're observing and allow that to be more of your approach. The second you're asking for a name or whatever, it's almost like the idea of them self-reflecting is almost, I wouldn't say painful, but it can be hard for them in a way, or maybe painful to a certain degree, but not pain that, that you, you need to kind of let them unfurl to you as you are experiencing the environment and, and just simply observe by asking them to show you things and everything else. Keep in mind, you're asking it. I'll try to sum it up this way. An entity is made of energy. 
and it doesn't have ears, it doesn't have nose to smell with, it doesn't have eyes to see with, it doesn't have a mouth to, to convey words in the sense that we do, it doesn't have a tongue, it doesn't have hands organically to touch with. So you really have to rethink how you're going to convey to something that no longer is embodied in an organic body. You can't relate to how you would relate. You've got to think outside the box. And you've got to ask yourself, whatever you're experiencing in that environment or that phenomenon, you know, how would that interpret from an energy being just to move something in our dimension? I often say it takes an enormous amount of concentrated energy, enormous amount, an enormous amount of effort. So think of it like baby powder gently sprinkled in the, in the air and it settles down like dust on a, on a table. You can't really see it, but if you move your finger and glide through it, you, all of a sudden you see the appearance of what looks like a wiggle sign from your finger. If you bunch it all up, you might get a tiny amount of structure that you can identify and say, oh, there's a pile of dust or there's a pile of whatever. Their energy is finite in our dimension just as much as we are finite in theirs. Look at how much trouble we have from our dimension just pushing into the psychic realm or spiritual realm. It's incredibly difficult, but we, we do it, but it's through great effort and work and discipline and practice. So it's just the opposite for them. So when they're doing stuff, oftentimes it may look like something falling over or, or a sound that's creepy or whatever, but this is a very strong attempt of trying to convey with us. So I often say, Try to let it show you what is working easiest for it to convey to you. Feel in your chest center where it wants you to go. It's not like, oh, I'm leading you down a down place. Get, get all these horror movies out of your head. But, but it may be trying to bring you somewhere where it, it's learned how to manipulate something to a yes or no level or, or convey or speak or do something. It's intelligent. It's not, if you die and you want to talk to somebody and we hear, oh, it's an evil spirit. You're an evil spirit now. No, you're, you're trying to use a body. Just like, like if you had a heart attack and you, 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 you lose your neural system and you're trying to move or talk, go look at them. They talk like this. They're like, they, they've lost their, their relationship with the motor gears. Start there with your approach. And it's through logical approach that you find true awakening, not all these, these fairy tale rainbow farting, you know, unicorns. Okay. This is not real, real investigation of, of truths. Okay. So now moving on, moving on. All right. Well, I get all wound up again. <laughs> um, this person is asking if, uh, listening to the tones is the best way to quiet the babbler. No, not at all. Not at all. The, the best way to quiet the babbler is a relationship with your body for starters. Like we said earlier, you don't have to go deep into the layering, but relaxing your body and your muscles, a big part of the babbler is spurned on through muscle memory, muscle wanting to be active during times that you're active versus time that you're sleeping. Number two is your activity. The babbler is fed often by emotion. So if something's bothering you work, house stuff, whatever, especially if it happened very recently and you, you kind of had things, you're like, I just need to meditate. I need to check out until you learn to really move those issues out of your mind. You want to insulate the timing of that. You want to ask yourself, do I have any baggage right now that I want to consider that I need to, to remove from me? Simple little things sitting and then thinking like, okay, I had a, a, a argument, let's say with my neighbor. Uh, you, you reflect on that, you bring up the idea on that and you say to yourself simply as this, I give myself permission for a 10 minute break about thinking about this and you just kind of let it go. Or what I often say is you blow it out. Like, like there's smoke in you, you took a, a cigarette, ugh, it's bad. So you just, and you see it like a projection, like an issue coming out of you. The brain reacts very well to these things. So, you know, you're not going to win with stress long-term at this point, but you actually can win short-term fights on smaller ground. So you're saying five minutes, 10 minutes, just give me, give me five minutes where I'm just giving myself permission. I don't have to think about it. It's just like, you know, I, I say, if you're worried about money or finances or stuff like that, if you give yourself a timeout, you, you have to realize the problem is still going to be there. It's not going to manifest in something bigger in 10 minutes. Okay. Or not necessarily. So by giving yourself a logical reasoning to say, I give myself a timeout on this, a timeout on that, blah, blah, blah. It actually has a big effect on the babbler. 
And as you learn to find and get familiar with that quiet zone, that, that, that inner place, whether you realize it or not, you're actually developing a new kind of place in your mind. And once it becomes familiar, it becomes stronger slowly. But anybody tells you, you know, oh, I never have the babbler or never, they're full of shit, okay? Everybody, no matter how good you are, will probably have a level of dealing with the babbler. It's just greater lengths of quiet, sometimes really long lengths. It just depends what's going on. And you know, you're, you're just learning how you want to shut it down. But by me being honest with you, I think a lot of people hear a lot of stuff from spiritual teachers and gurus and they're like, oh, absolute science. Oh, blah, blah, blah. and you're like, okay, I'm modeling myself after that to gauge my own success. So if they're full of BS, okay, and you're gauging yourself off of that, you will constantly feel like a failure and you're not having any successes and eventually you're going to give up. That's rub I get so mad about that. Simply listen to what I'm saying. Everybody has a level of babbling. No matter how good you are, there are just greater and greater lengths that you expand on. And you don't need very long to really have really profound experiences. So keep that in mind. Okay. Um, the other question is about in-between. She's asking for how long should she stay in the in-between state and if there's pros and cons. Yeah, there's pros and cons to the in-between. For those of you who don't know what the in-between is, it's very complex. Uh, in, a, in a nutshell, you're altering the state of your consciousness with no drugs. So everything takes on a different reality feel. Everything to the, the universal stuff, because it gets very complex, is that everything takes on what I call a Barbie plastic house feel. Like nothing feels real. Everything feels like if you touch it, it's gonna have that plastic sound rather than a wood sound or, or glass. It just has this, this feeling of cheap plastic that's really hard and very colorful. And you, you are kind of struggling with that because you feel like, oh my God, nothing is real. Now, from that state of mind, you can experience different phenomena that just makes no logic in a normal state of mind. Like you touch a wall where light's coming through. It should be cool still. It's just outside window light coming through, not sunlight, just street light or whatever. And you touch it and it's hot. You touch outside of it, it's cold. It's like weird stuff. I've had neutrinos circle us when I'm teaching a student. Just sit there. Animals come up. Stories go on and on. But here's the thing. I don't think anybody should really be pushing staying in between more than an hour. And that's if you're getting up and walking around and exploring environments or going out to the park or something. What you're initially trying to do is to collect data. The more you reflect on something, the more that you allow your mind to kind of work with it, it's expanding. It's building new pathways to define ways to make this work in your mind. And that's expansion in your organic brain, at least, and moving into higher states of consciousness. So... Um, I don't recommend going in there for more than an hour. I wouldn't recommend doing it more than once a week. And that's if you're doing it a lot, like every week, once a week, it gets exhausting. And, and you, there's a point where you're like, I just can't, you know, it's making me feel nauseous. It's too much. And you just, you just want that time out. So I don't think that the in-between is the end all of things to do. I do think it's something very interesting. And if you can learn to turn it on and turn it off with practice, for instance, if you go into a, a place where there's paranormal phenomenon, you can sense, you can scan. I teach all these really amazing things. But one of the things you can consider doing is going in between. And then everything takes on a different level. But you're more entering the approach now to really seeing or experiencing the phenomena if that entity's there because you're slowing your reality down. It's like a frequency. You're kind of moving more towards their vibration. So it's a whole game changer. Do you have any other questions that you want to keep on mind? I have other, other questions here, but they are kind of... All over the place? Yeah. Um, you know, mine are kind of all over the place, too. Okay. Um, I, there's a question here uh, about healing. She wants to learn and, like, evolve. She already has all the material on healing, and she wants tips if you have anything to say that would probably help. I think if we, this is what I always find, I, maybe it's just me, but I tend to look at what we've talked about to extrapolate because it's like kind of laid the, the information out well so you can reflect on it. If, if you go back to the whole thing about onioning and removing the, the layers of your, your brain with all these different things, if you can learn to, to do your work from that place, it's much stronger 
than if you just kind of move into it and you start feeling and working from energy. Do you understand? By removing stuff, you're removing what we call, again, the governors, like just in the car engine. A car engine, the, the, the meter says on your speedometer, you do 140, but it taps you, it locks you out at 85, 90, and you can't get past that because it, it prevents the car from moving that fast, even though it could if the governor wasn't there. So you have these governors in us. So by, by onioning out and removing all these different layers, and then going into this really closest thing to non-thought, okay, you're able to have a higher level of precision on the work that you're doing, providing you can, you can juggle these things, okay? That's the trick, that's skill, that's practice, that's technique, that's knowledge and, and reflecting on stuff to get there. Well, there's a question here that I know is a yes. <laughs> um, Eric, do you channel information for high, higher realms? I don't like the word channeling because I don't, I don't necessarily believe in, in channeling because when we think of channeling, it's usually involves like entities coming into the person and you're, you know, it's like a different person. I just, I have a whole lecture on why, yeah, okay. Would that be excess magic records? Y yes and no. I, I think that there are ways to go into your own mind and tap multiple, multiple like pearls, okay? Each pearl is a past life. And it's all within your mind, within like kind of like a hive collective. And you're actually tapping that information for wisdom, insight, whatever. And because people don't understand that, they're, they're portraying like some kind of character or, or some other person. Um, I think it's, again, one of those things that people need to, to investigate more deeply. Having said that, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there, there is a, a, what I call a Wi-Fi, if you will. And I've said this for over 30 years on record. And, you know, I'm talking about the matrix 30 years ago before everybody else is a Johnny come lately. Personally, they're all, you know, I say we joke around here. Oh, well, well, well next week they're going to be talking about what I taught, you know, this week because they're scattering for material, <laughs> you know, it sounds awful, but anyhow, but the, the point is, is that that if there is a Wi-Fi, which, which if you really go back, this is the collective consciousness that the, the spiritual people have always talked about, okay? We call it a, a Wi-Fi now so people can really relate to it more because we all have computers, we all have cell phones, we all have these things. Before we had that, it was very hard for the average person to really kind of grasp that in a meaningful way. That's the key. So when you can let your mind remove itself from, from I am human, I'm marching around, whatever, and you can start to accept the fact that you may be part of something bigger, okay, you, you kind of, in a nonverbal way, desire certain information. It's very specific, okay? And all of a sudden, you, you can call it a knowing, like you just kind of knew this all of a sudden, like it just entered your head. No, you got it from this Wi-Fi. You, you, you kind of brought it to it, it responded. The second you think about it, it collapses because you're thinking with this instead of what's down here. There's another intelligence. And I'm not saying your heart center. I literally mean there's three brains. One is down in your lower part. Women tend to, to, to call it kind of a gut feeling or an instinctual feeling or in their, their gut. There's another one in your chest and then there's your brain. And they're from three different bodies that are coexisting, if you will, in, in this, this space that you are in, this machine. And so it is able to, to convey a different form of information uh, gathering or communication, if you will. Okay, I have a good question here that I'm not too sure. And I go at great length about this in many of the classes, so yeah. Um, she's asking, what do you think about energy volts, which I think it's ener energy vortexes, mm -hmm. uh, places around the country for say Sedona in Arizona mm -hmm. and Mystery House in Oregon? You know, this is where I got to be very careful because we live in a world of lawsuits, you know, and it's, it's sad. It's really sad. There's a difference between being around me in person and where, where I put stuff like um, uh, I'm not a fan of um, certain places that uh, claim to be uh, vortexes where the house is tilting and balls move this way or that way and yada, yada, yada. Um, I think a lot of that is staged. I think a lot of that is is um, optical illusions or how the the place is built to kind of mess with our heads. I think that magnetically, you know, there's they won't let you dig like outside of the property border, you know, but yet all the stuff is linking that way. Anybody can drop in the ground a heavy duty magnet, yada, yada, yada. When people say, oh, the government came here, they researched, they left. Uh, you know, I want to see a little bit more paperwork than that than just hearsay. 
um, I'm, I'm just not having it. And this goes back to my whole point of if, if we don't try to scrutinize certain things, we could spend our life chasing a fantasy and then we're old and it's too late. You know, you know, with myself, it's very hard to, to do something. And, and because there's a, there's a whole class I gave on, on protons and electrons and why through observation, it's hard to, to capture a lot of paranormal phenomena. So my approach is a bit differently. I, I'll teach you how to do what I do. I do it all day long. There's thousands of people right now who can attest to this. And you have the phenomena. You have this paranormal experiences and you define it any way you want. Cause I'm pretty sure you're gonna to come to the same conclusions that I, that I tell you what, what, what's, what's there. And that's how I believe in teaching. So as far as, you know, Sedona goes, I love Sedona. It's a beautiful place. It's, it's, it's great and everything, but a lot of places that, that are claimed to be vortexes and stuff like that. I tend to have mixed feelings about, I've been to Sedona many times. I've been to a lot of these other places. Let me, let me say this most paranormal phenomenon, 80, 90%, is still all within the confines of, of natural phenomenon that's misunderstood. What you really need to do is go after that 10% because the paranormal is out there. And it's only when you start to be very careful and selective is when you truly awaken and you truly have mind-blowing experiences and places you go that blow your mind. There are places that I send clients of mine that I've gone with groups of people and to me, those are real vortex places, genuine. Okay. We're talking like leaves blowing in, in opposite directions and then ro rotating in the other way, literally right in front of you. All, I mean, it's all sorts of crazy stuff that there's too much to go into. Okay. But usually you're not going to find a, 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 you know, Sedona, the, the land of vortexes, Sedona, the land of sunshine, Sedona, come and visit us and spend your money here, but don't stay, just head back out. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful to think that, but the real genuine places are hard to find and they're unique and they're not going to be on your everyday beaten path. And when people collectively all know about a place, it's interesting, but I always say the matrix shuts it down. It shuts it down because it does not want people to wake up through self-reflection, through paranormal phenomenon. So it, it removes it, it hides it, it, it realizes there's a glitch. It's like I always said, there's, there's three levels to phenomena or reality. One is there's a, a haunted so-called graveyard and there's lit, tons of phenomena that goes there. The, the, the average person who goes to their red cell, mom, pop, people, whatever, go in there, they're jogging, boom, boom, they're walking their dogs, boom, boom. It's just a lovely graveyard that's like a park with lots of paths and there's gravestones. They don't experience nothing because their, their, their mind is, is just not in that place. Another group of people go into the graveyard and they're in there. They want to record voices. They want to catch, you know, pictures of stuff and see, you know, hot spots and feel for, for stuff like that. They go in there and that's exactly what they get. They get phenomena. They get, get recorded ghosts and entities. They get some pictures and stuff, not a hundred percent, but little bits and pieces. Okay. The third level. And I've been at this for 30 years trying to explain this. The third level is we live in a simulated reality. We live, if you want to call it the matrix, whatever, it's hard to, to, to look at it this way because of movies and everything else. And it's kind of like this gut thing, like, ah, I don't know if I can accept this. It's a weird idea, but we've said it all along with the, 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 with the spiritual pool person comes out of the meditation says reality is an illusion. That's what they're saying. It's a simulated reality. It's just a new word. So when you go into the graveyard, what I see in all the haunted spots or anything is paranormal is not paranormal. It's a glitch in the matrix that's causing the phenomena. When you're hearing a voice, it's something rattling from time or, or just coming in and you're recording it thinking, oh, it's a ghost, not a ghost. You, you caught something that, that creeped through through another time zone or something. When you see light move or something, it's just, it's just, it's just like matrixy stuff moving or changing or, or altering or adjusting. And you're like, oh, there's something just happened. There, there are so many places that bring people and you walk and it's like walking through a, a an invisible wall. Everything just drops and you feel the, your body, everything. You step one foot back and it goes right back up again. This is all kind of uh, glitches. So haunted and paranormal places are what I really consider glitches in the matrix. And until you explore them and experience them, this is what, what makes your mind able to unravel greater truths and greater experiences and greater awakenings. Awesome. There's a question here that I think is, is 
Good. Um, Rick is asking about surrendering and simulator reality. He's saying that when he first was introduced to, introduced to HBI material, uh, surrendering was posed as a direct connection or relationship to the source. So given that we exist in the simulation, what are we really so surrendering to? All right, well, that's a more complicated. This is what we go into private classes in, in depth on, but um, you know, I'll go over it because I think there's a lot of people who can understand it. If we live in a simulated reality, let's throw it out that way, you, you have information bombarding you. It's telling you what reality is. It's telling your optics to what you see, your, your hearing sensory. All of these things is, is information that's organized and being presented to you just infinitely. When you go into surrender, what you're really doing is like the onion in again. Let's use that. You're shutting down all of these things, but, but what you're really doing is you're also shutting down the input from the matrix, if you will, the Wi-Fi. As you shut down everything, the idea is that you're trying to get to the, to the most greatest level of what, what spiritual people have always called non-thought. You're trying to remove every kind of uh, uh, verbiage in your mind and thoughts and, and thinking. But most people think when they say you want non-thought, it means non-thinking, like you're not supposed to think. That's not true. It's not true at all. You, you, if I showed you an object, you don't have to shout it out in your head, even though you're trained to do it. But if you didn't, and I asked you later, what did I show you? You'd know exactly what part of your mind was able to convey all that information. So that is where you're trying to remain. So the point is, is if we can shut everything down, ultimately we're getting to the core of what is the source that's generating everything. So when people think about this, they think, oh, well, it's like a big computer, or is it like a planet the size of a, a, that's a, that's a giant computer? Look, I think it's silly to think that it's a computer in, in our day and age of what we perceive a computer to be or what our best imagination is. What I'd rather say is that when you dream, you generate an infinite amount of possibilities. Is there a limit to space? Is there a limit to the depths of the ocean? Is there a limit to how many organisms or humans or species or aliens in your mind? Is there a limit to, there is no limit to, to your dream generated world. You are a computer, if you will, generating everything that you are everything there. So if you talk to somebody in your dream, you're essentially talking to yourself, although it's completely identified as someone completely different than yourself and it has a personality and everything, it can even convey information that you'd swear you didn't know before. Hence, a lot of great uh, inventions that have been made in history. So if, if you were to go into that dream state and shut everything down, your, your one thing that you're looking for is the source by which is generating all of that. And in your dream, you would, you would find who you are. You'd be going to the core of, of your own conscience, your own soul, you're the deepest portion of you. So the point is, is that in some ways we're all in a dream and by shutting down everything, you're attempting to get to the very core of what's creating everything. Wait, wait, yeah, what were you gonna say? We gotta cut the questions now. So yeah, I can't keep, you, you're killing me here. Okay, I was just gonna say that we have to good. Good, good, because I'm all, I'm all like, oh, I got a million other things to do here. We do wanna announce before we, we wrap up that we're doing the class tomorrow, introductory to the CUBE class. Yeah. So I don't know if we wanna, um, show the cubes or just announce it or because we do have the cubes here. Um, they're so heavy. I don't know if they can see that. I know that they're going to slide around in the box now. I don't know why he did it this way. You can't tilt it. You can't anything. But can you see So them? these are our, our cubes. And they have a specific function and purpose. Um, there's a, a few different varieties that we have. Uh, this is actually something a little bit different than the Citus cube, which I can go into. Um, but I, look, there's, there's a lot of people that have heard about them, you know, and it's not something that I like to push or I like to talk about. It's probably once a year, maybe even wider, even. further apart that I even bring them up because I, I just want to say that it is not necessary for you to have a cube to have awakenings or profound experiences, anything. I never had a cube ever, and I was able to do everything that I've gotten to this point from. So I just want to make that clear. A, a cube is a tool that amplifies your 
progression, spiritually, psychically, call it whatever you want. And there is a whole understanding that has to do with simulated reality, the cubes, and how you can affect your own progression, your own reality, and whatnot. I mean, they are pretty profound in certain ways. But I just want to put it out there that you know you shouldn't get one if you're not really ready for that. I prefer people have a lot of information under their belt or a fair amount of information under their belt with HBI. You can call and find out you know what what our thoughts are. Um, but they're really cool. They're really unique. They're they are in my opinion the last and only great mystical artifact of our time. And I think that every white cell has this intuitive desire or want to find some kind of magic book or magic something that has this knowledge in it that we seek. And, you know, it just simply does not necessarily exist in that sense. And uh, I wanted to create something that would, well, just blow people's mind, dial them in, just something really profound that that is there, has their back 100%, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a door open. You could call it a, a good solid kick to the door. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So, um, but people will always, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure people on the internet have heard about, you know, they've seen, you know, the cube disappear and reappear somewhere, it's humming, it's vibrating and shaking. I mean, a lot of these things I've experienced firsthand also. Uh, some people, not much like that happens, but they have other profound experiences with them. So it's, it's something we're going to go into. I'm just going to lay it out. I'm going to probably explain it better than I ever have. I'm going to reveal probably way more than I ever have before. I just think people are ready to understand simulated reality, what the role of these things are, how, how do they work? Why do they work and whatnot? And I, I think it'll be pretty mind blowing and it is what it is. So. That's all I really want to say. I don't like pushing yeah, it. So. I, I, put, I mean, it's $19 yeah. and you don't even have to ask for a refund. If you don't end up wanting to buy a cube afterwards, that's totally fine. We only ask the 19 because we just want people that are, are serious. And if we take questions, it just you just get yeah. looniness. And so we want to keep it focused. We send you an email the next day asking, do you want the $19 back? All you have to do is say yes. So you don't even have to ask. Yeah, no small back. print. None of that BS. Um, so... It's really just to get people in the door that we know are, you know, our white cells are, are interested in higher balance. So that's, uh, but tune in tomorrow night for that. Um, we'll have a link that Lags will put up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been yeah. thinking about how I'm going to approach this. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Thanks. A lot of people ask us, where's the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. Foundation Meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at higherbalanceinstitute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. When I was young, I recall sitting in the back seat of the family car as we drove. 
somewheres. Probably just to get away. I remember seeing the rivets of the back seat, the leather contour, the fabric and texture of the floor mat. I was small. I remember looking upward through the window, seeing the reflection of the glass of myself, a metal lining along the glass trim. I could only see the trees and the sky moving by. I thought I could touch it, so I did, reaching my hand out the window to touch it. I felt it. I felt the air pushing and moving beneath my hand and the warmth of the sun upon its back. it was at that moment I began to awaken, knowing that sometimes when you want to find something, you don't always find it in the way that you think you're going to. You see, my hand, it moved against the wind, pushing, weaving, feeling it, touching it, and the sun warming, soothing, healing somewhere in between I flew higher balance we think outside of the box a new kind of spirituality a new kind of meditation a revolution in consciousness Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio. 